Hello, my name is Faina, and I've dedicated the last seven years to honing my craft and fine-tuning my strategy. Hi, I'm Louise Donwila, and I'm a trading psychology expert. I've worked with traders for almost a decade across the globe. I am a multi-award-winning clinical hypnotherapist and life coach. I am also the founder and creator of a proven online psychology program. At Trading in the Zen, we believe that there's much more to trading than numbers and probabilities. Like an athlete, a trader should operate in their peak state. Each week, you will have mind-blowing interviews as well as actionable tips and strategies that you can implement in your daily life to become a better trader. Thanks for spending time with us today. Now, let's dive right in. Welcome to Trading in the Zen. On this week's episode, we talk to Lawrence Dunning. Lawrence was born and raised in London, England, and holds both an undergraduate degree and an MBA from the University of Exeter. Lawrence has spent the last two decades calling Chicago home after extensive work experience as a fixed income derivatives trader, first in London, then Amsterdam, and then on Wall Street, before finally settling at the Chicago Board of Trade and starting his own trading company. Outside of real estate, Lawrence considers himself a lifelong student in his quest for constant self-improvement. A former professional athlete and a Chicago Golden Gloves boxing champion, he now competes around the world, has a high-level Brazilian jiu-jitsu black belt, and enjoys his quality time, undistracted and present, with his wife, son, and their two dogs. Let's dive right in. So without further ado, um, welcome Lawrence on the show. It's nice to have you today. Hi, Lawrence. Oh, thank you so much. It's great to be here. Thank you so much, guys. <laughs> so let's start with talking a bit about your background because you were a pit trader yes. when you were in your 20s and you, you, know, you worked at the Chicago Board of Trade in London on Wall Street. Tell us what that experience was like and you know, how did you get into trading initially? Oh, it's, it's actually a great story. So I was just talking to a friend about this yesterday. When I was doing martial arts at college, and I actually did my undergraduate history degree. And then I was coming up to graduation. And I'd been trading um, like on the side stocks and things since I was a teenager. My dad, I used to work part-time jobs all the time. My dad would always say, hey, listen, you know, you should invest some of this money. Um, he was trying to teach me that if I didn't just spend what I made and I invested in stocks and things like that, I would make more down the road. I had that mindset. And then I got to finishing graduation and I was like, I really want to keep training at this martial arts gym at college. And I was like, what am I going to do? Well, I don't want to be a history professor. So I, I really want to get into finance. So I got into this MBA program. And then when I was graduating, I still had no idea what I'm going to do. I was like, what am I going to do? And I had this professor and he said, I kind of came to him asking for advice. And he said, listen, if you work in investment banking, you're going to have no life. They're going to work you like a dog, you know, nights, weekends. He said, if you can somehow work with the, the market, the stock market, then your hours can be limited by the market hours. So try to get into trading. And then just randomly, I was so lucky because um, some people think that, you know, to, if you are a successful person, how did you become successful? They're going to say, oh, you know, I work hard. I was disciplined. They're going to talk about all the things that they did. But mm -hmm. I'm a big believer in luck. Like mm -hmm. we can do all the right things, but if you're unlucky and you're born in the wrong part of the world at the wrong time period, you, you, your options are going to be very limited. And I was just very lucky that my uncle, who I'm very close to, was at a dinner party in London and he was talking to somebody and he was like, oh, my nephew just graduated or something. And the guy's like, oh, we're a trading company and we're actually hiring. We, we need more traders. So I was planning on taking a sabbatical. I was going to travel the world for a few years, enjoy life. And he called me and he said, Lawrence, you got, you got an interview with this company. They're doing really well. They're growing. They need you. 
So I joined this, I, I went to the interview and I, and I, I got, I got a job basically as a trainee trader in London and I was mm. there for three days. And then they said, actually, we need someone in our Dutch office in Amsterdam. So I said, oh, that sounds cool. You know, I'm young. I've got no crazy commitment. So I was, I was working on the, the Dutch trading floor for about a year and they don't let you trade. They were just kind of teaching you, um, teaching you the ropes. And then just when I was getting ready to trade, they said, actually, we need, we need someone in the Chicago market to border trade because we need traders there. We're expanding. So I said, oh, I'll go. So I went to mm. Chicago and I was, I was just getting ready to start trading and they were having some visa problems. And they said, okay, while we're sorting out your visa, you can go to New York and you can trade on Wall Street because that office, it was trading through an office on the phones as opposed to in the, on the floor. So while we're working on your immigration, you can trade for a few months in New York, which is what I did. And then they brought me back to Chicago. And then finally, I got to start trading in the trading pits, which was a pretty wild time. Um, wow. Is it kind of like, I, I don't know if you guys have seen trading places, but that, that yeah. it's yes. not always that crazy, but those, those <laughs> trading pits, like you just, it's so, it's so much hectic, just melee of, of you're trying to listen to five different people screaming at the same time. It's pretty mm-hmm. wild. And that's why it's definitely a young man's game. Uh, wow. So here's a question. When you were a pit trader, what did you find aside from the noise level? Uh, what did you find to be very challenging? Was it the long hours, the attention span that you needed to have, the decisiveness you needed to be able to um, execute your trades quickly and make decisions on the spot? What was the yeah. most challenging part of it? So I think it was. Um, I mean, obviously, was all, uh, all the things you mentioned were, were challenges. F- physically, you know, you're standing up. And so physically, it, you're not, it's not the most comfy you're on your feet all day, um, especially a lot of the, I, I was never a big drinker and we're going to talk about that later, I'm sure. But mm-hmm. if you have a healthy body, you're going to have a sharper mind. That was always my mm-hmm. approach. And, mm-hmm. but it's just, I think the hardest thing is trying to discern through all the chaos because that with trading, there's trades that make a little bit of money and trades that make a lot of money. And you have to be able, it's almost like, um, I feel like in that period of my life, my brain power was the strongest it's ever been. And I've, I've never got that back when I left trading because you get so used to trying to um, pay attention to all these different people at the same time. And you have to pick the, the one that you think has the most money, like the most potential in the trade. So it's just mm-hmm. being, I think, incredibly mentally sharp. And a lot of it now it's mm-hmm. different because it's all screens. But back then it was you're looking at physical trading sheets and you're trying to do the, the, the arithmetic in your, in your head. So I think just being really good at numbers, quick with numbers and also trying to pay attention to a few different things and figure out which one to focus on um, was probably the toughest. Yeah, yeah. It's very interesting how it went from like such a noisy, crazy environment to a very solitary environment, right? Yes. Now we are so secluded and, and absolutely alone in front of the computer. And that's a whole new set of challenges, right? Exactly. Because now it's you against you. Exactly. It's, and there's yes. nothing. It's, it's all, I don't know what's worse. Yeah, you're right. They both have their own sets of challenges. But um, I think the one thing that I really, I didn't really appreciate it until I left the trading floor was even though technically, if if a big order came in with a broker, and there's you know 30 people in the pit, and we're all fighting to get some of the action, technically, there are competitors. But in the downtime, they were really great guys. And I think just physically, you have so much, you have no physical intimacy in the pit when it's busy, you have, you know, people's crutches are in your face, and your back (laughs) and your butt. It's it's so intimate space. (laughs) It's not very nice. They used to say it's, it's what do they say? I think blue collar work, white collar pay or something like that. But it wasn't very nice. And because of that, you became, I became very close friends with the people around me. And in general, I, th- I don't know how much you know about Chicago pit traders, but they, they kind of have a bit of a bad reputation for being a bit sleazy. I think a mm. lot of them were young and, and wealthy and doing a lot of drugs and just partying. And, whereas the guys, that, they tend to be the future traders. 
Whereas I was in the options pit and they tended to be a bit smarter and a bit more sophisticated. And generally they were very nice mm. people, like family men. They did, they just did their job and then they went home at night. Yeah. Yeah. Lawrence, I'm a futures trader. <laughs> You're a future. Listen, there's nothing wrong with being a future. I'm just saying yeah. on the pit, <laughs> the future pits were a little rougher. They were a little, <laughs> those, those guys gave us a bad reputation. <laughs> I trade oil. I'm going to raise this bar. Oh, I'm going to make myself sound really bad. Really bad. <laughs> <laughs> so, so Lawrence, what's one thing that you took from that experience that's helped you kind of like go from there into, you, you know, and we'll, we'll talk further about, you know, your journey uh, and where you're at now. But what's that, what, what's one experience or one thing that's helped you kind of along the way from that experience? I definitely think it was confidence because I was in my early 20s and the average age was probably mid 30s. And there was a lot of stigma to me because I was the English guy from an English company trying to compete with these very local, um, you know, Midwestern guys. And a lot of these people in the pit, they were second, third generation traders. So a lot of them were clerking for their dad and their dad was clerking for their granddad. And that's how they got in the business. Um, And that's all they ever knew. And then they were a little bit um, less sophisticated. And my company came and they kind of had a bit... They had a bit more sophisticated trading models, and a lot of time they would trade against the pit. So you have mm. the, the intellectual challenges of trying to figure out how to make money as a new trader. And then also I had the, um, the almost the psychological disadvantage of just uh, for, for in the beginning, at least, I was actually hated. They hated me. So it was very, it was very tough because I had a boss I didn't like who would yell at me because every time I did a trade, if it was good, he would say I should have done more. And if he didn't like it, he would yell at me because he didn't like it. And so I had, mm. I had a lot. It was almost like everything was against me. And when you're in that kind of pressure environment, you have to either survive and, and you're going to grow and benefit or you're going to fail. And a lot of guys yeah. that in my class that started with me, I was the only one that actually made it. They all quit along the way. So I think just being in that environment, I think it's so good. I have a two-year-old boy now. And it, I'm, I think trying to teach him that when you do those hard things, even though it sucks at the time and it's not fun, you grow so much from it. Whereas if, it, if life's mm. easy, you're, you're never going to grow. So I just, I really think that, and, and I know it's kind of cliche, but I think that environment really made a mad out of me quickly. Wow. Amazing. So how did you handle the uh, drawdowns, right? Because you have those streaks of, of just things not working out, but you have to physically now show up. Um, yes. and continue to perform. You mean when you're losing money? Yes, when you're losing money. And, you know, sometimes you go on for days. I've been there. Yes. You go on for days. And I can hide behind the computer, kick and scream. You didn't have that opportunity. Yes. So how did you handle those days? That's such a great question. I think the I was so lucky. So when I had all my interviews at my London office, right at the end, the owner of the company, um, he wanted to meet me and make sure he was happy before they hired me. And he was actually a really nice guy and he didn't really, he was just almost giving me fatherly advice. And he said to me, he said, listen, I'm going to give you, I want to tell you something and I never want you to forget this. He said, when you're trading, maybe 60% of your trades are going to make money and 40% of your trades are going to lose money. So at the end of the year, your year profit is going to be that difference of the 20%. But if you let the, the times you're losing money eat away at you, you will drive yourself crazy and you'll quit the business. And I think that's mm. such good advice because mm. he's basically saying, take a long-term approach and you know losing in trading is part of the game. But you yeah. know, hopefully when all said and done, you're going to have more up days and down days and that's going to be the difference. But if you let it crush your spirit and your soul and your confidence. Um, so I think that's, I, I used to always trade with, I was very disciplined with strategy. And I think so much of life, so much of life comes down to discipline. And I think, mm-hmm. so having the discipline to, to have an early night and not go out drinking all night 
I'm going to be way sharper than the guys around me if they were partying. Mm-hmm. Having the discipline to stick to my positions, even when it's losing money today, because I believe that um, in option trading, it tends to revert to a mean. So you do have a bit. You, you, it, it, markets can definitely stay irrational longer than you can stay solvent. That, that's always an issue. But within your risk parameters, you, you do have the statistical advantage of knowing that it's going to revert to a mean. So it, you have to be a bit patient too. And it, I think that's tough. Like that's the, the toughest thing psychologically, I think, is when you have a position that you believe in and you're losing money day, day after day is, is holding mm-hmm. it, keeping that belief. Mm-hmm. But um, I think one, yeah. one thing is good for the stress. And I don't know if you guys do this, but if you, if you just cut the position in half, that's normally just you cut down your risk, but you still give mm-hmm. yourself upside when it comes back. Um, that was an early lesson that a lot of the old school traders did, and that was always good for your mental sanity too. It's just you yeah. cut it in half. You cut your upside in half, of course, but you also limit your downside. Mm, right. So I think I'm going to write a book called Trading the Art of Losing because yes. I, I believe <laughs> – don't be stealing it now. Um, <laughs> but I just think that once you learn how to lose – and, and, and anything really, it, it pertains to life, right? It pertains yes. to other other aspects. Um, if you learn how to lose, then you are already a winner. And I know it's counterintuitive, but but I think we just intuitively want to do everything we can to not lose and always win. And I think that is a downfall for a lot of us in many different spheres. I couldn't agree more. And, and, you know, being in, from Chicago, I'm not really a basketball fan, but I know the, the greatest of all time, Michael Jordan, is, is famous for saying he's missed more shots, like 10,000 shots or something, because he's taken more shots than anyone. And that's the thing is, if whatever you're doing in life, it doesn't matter if it's trading, if it's real estate, if it's if it's some kind of sport, if you're taking more action, you're taking more risk, by definition, sometimes you're going to fail. But that's the path to greatness. Whereas those people that are scared of challenges and scared of risks, of course, they're not mm-hmm. going to fail, but they're not going to dare to do anything great. So I, I couldn't agree more. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. It's about expanding your comfort zone, isn't it? It's it's yes. That's what you said before. It's, it's where we grow. It's where we learn. So going on to kind of the trading floor, when you were about around 30 years old, you actually decided to go on to a five-year sabbatical. And yes, that was, was to, tr- sorry, like that was to train around combat sports. I mean, t- tell us about that journey because that sounds really interesting as well. And I'm sure you needed sort of discipline for that as well. Yeah, I was so lucky because I did make a lot of money in my 20s. I, I made a lot of money for my trading company and I, I basically got almost nothing. They, When you work for a big group, they just give you a small bonus and keep the rest. And then the guys around me would say like, Lawrence, you know, we're on like 50-50 cuts. So whatever we make, you know, we normally have a backer and he takes half and then we get to keep half. But right now, you know, I don't know what your split is, but it's probably close to 3% or 5% and the company just takes the rest. So it, it took a lot of courage. I was a little nervous, but one of the older traders... Um, would always talk about it, like we should leave and start our own company. So he and I left and we set up our own company. Um, so I was trading the same thing that I had the experience trading for my company, but by myself. And we did very, very well. And then I got to about um, 30 and my my partner, he he was, I think the stress, oh, he was trading, he was a bit older than me and he was trading many years in Holland before in Amsterdam. That's how we met. And he, he was got very burnt out. He started drinking a lot and doing a lot of party drugs, and he was kind of losing his mind a bit. And then he would come in, come on the trading floor. He was a mess. He would do bad trades. He'd lose money. So eventually, I just said I can't work with him. So I, I went off on my own. And mm-hmm. not having a partner was just it. It took a lot of the fun out because when you when you do, and uh-huh. I'm sure you know, even the both of you doing this podcast together, having partners for things. I think you're the sum of. 
the sum of you together is more than both of you, you mm. know, working individually. And so yeah. the stress was without him was too much. And then it got to the stage where what, what I see is a lot of people, as they make money, they just increase their standard of living and then they never get anywhere because whatever they make, they just keep spending. And I was very lucky that I just, I bought a condo when I first moved here and I just had the same, you know, it wasn't, it wasn't, it was a small condo and I didn't need any more. And I didn't realize how much money I'd made because it was just all going in my trading account. And I was doing, um, I was doing amateur boxing and I won the Chicago Golden Gloves and I was doing jiu-jitsu and I really enjoyed it. And I just was turning 30 and I couldn't sleep one night and I got up and I was like, you know, I've got this passion inside me and I've got a lot, you know, I could be technically or theoretically, I guess I could be 80 years old trading behind a, behind a desk, but I've got a very small window athletically before my body's too old to do something like, you know, combat sports professionally. Mm. So I said, I said, screw it. I'm going to do it. So I, um, I always planned to come back to trading when I was done, but I didn't realize in the meantime that that my whole business model of, of those small local trading groups in Chicago, while I was gone, the high frequency trading came in and that model doesn't really exist anymore. So I was very lucky in the sense that I got out to pursue something, whereas during that time I was out, a lot of my colleagues were forced out by the market. So I did get very, very lucky oh, there. Oh, wow, yeah. A lot of them suffered a few bad years losing money before they were kind of forced out to change careers. Yeah, the game has changed quite a bit, right? Now it's yes. now we have something completely different where everybody thinks they can be a trader, and that is equally as dangerous, in my opinion. Um, yes. The access, the the accessibility of you know, it's just that you're at one click away from you losing everything you've ever worked for, um, yes. and you're sitting there without checks and balances, and there's no one there to say, hey, you know, maybe this is a good time to stop, or this is not working. Um, when we're left with ourselves. Well, I, th- I think we saw that a bit during COVID when whenever the world shut down and a lot of people were kind of trading um, crypto and they, mm. you know, a lot of people made a lot of money and then, you know, the, the, the music stopped and a lot of people lost a lot of money. <laughs> but it's like all these people that probably had no trading experience and they just got, you know, they got mm. whatever checks they had and they're like, oh, so I'm, I'm going to trade it. And then when, when people are trading in a good market, they make money and they think they're a genius, but they don't realize that... You know, it, <laughs> the, the, when the music stops, you know things things that things are not going to always just go up exponentially like Bitcoin did for a long time. It's gonna yeah. it's gonna come back down too. The longevity, yeah. and I think trading is is a resilience and is a stamina kind of game, right? Because there, if it, not everyone is going to make it, but I cannot tell you how many people were giving me trading advice that got yes. started trading yesterday. <laughs> I could not believe the amount of people were telling me, "What are you doing with the futures?" You know, there's that coin and this coin and the other coin, and I said, I- "I'm good. I'm I'm good where I'm where I am." But I, all of a sudden, I was getting so much. Uh, trading advice from people who were, you know, fixing cars yesterday. And it was really (laughs) interesting that, you know, and they were really adamant. And there's, I guess there's like something about not knowing and you have this, you've never been beaten down yet. So you have this false sense of security, but, but, but the markets will teach you and we're looking at it now. Mm. They're very humbling. Yeah. The markets are very humbling. Very humbling. You're flying high, you're going to crawl pretty low pretty soon. So <laughs> yes. can you get up though? Exactly. And that's an old martial arts <laughs> saying. They say, if you get knocked down seven times, get up eight. And I think that's a, there's so much similarities. It's so interesting because I've had three different lives, I guess, but there's a lot of common threads between all three. And I think yeah, resilience yeah. is a big one. I think too many yeah. people get in a business and they expect to make money straight away. And th- there's that saying, when you start a business, you're supposed to lose money for the first two years. And I think the the best advice I always give to people, regardless of whether it's the, they just walk into a jiu-jitsu gym and they want to learn jiu-jitsu or they want to get, get into real estate investing, is you can't think about 
getting good straight away. You should really think about learning as much as you can. And then hopefully the money will come down the road. Mm. Strategy yeah. over earnings. Every time, yeah. the minute that you come yeah. to make money is the day you lose everything. The minute you come to work your strategy and your plan and stick to it, no matter what, you know, that's, that's when you find success. 100%. So Lawrence, you're a huge believer in peak states and performing at your best. I'm, you know, I'm really intrigued because there's something that I heard. Do you go with your intuition or gut or logic when it comes to making like a big decision or decisions that you've made in your life? Um, that's a great question. That's a really mm-hmm. great question, Louise. I think um, I'm a big believer in the gut and the subconscious being the sum mm-hmm. knowledge of everything because you got to think we're getting, especially now is worse with technology, cell phones and emails. And we didn't used to get that so much now that, that we get now, but we have, we have so much incoming stimulus coming at us and data and your, your subconscious is processing all of that, whether you know it or not. So mm-hmm. I really do believe in um, trying to listen to that gut feeling, because I think if you learn to trust it, it's not just a random thing. It's, it's the combination of all the, the knowledge and, and the things that you've seen and heard over many years. So I really, I really believe in that. But then the mm. decisions like, you know, big, the, the old trading maxim, you know, risk and reward. I remember when I was in Holland and I was first learning how to trade, they, they said to me, listen, every single time you do a trade, you should know what's my risk, how much can I lose? What's my reward? You know, how much can I make? And you can apply that metric to almost anything in life. You know, if, if you're single, you want to, want to, and I'm a single guy and I want to ask a girl out, well, my, my risk is tiny. She might say no, but my reward is she could be my future wife, you know? So having that metric is you can, you can apply it to so much that risk reward, but also mm-hmm. I think another, anytime you're facing a big decision in life, if you say, well, what in, what would my future self in 10 years want me to make? And I think by looking ahead, that normally mm-hmm. gives you your answer. And yeah. typically with me anywhere, I don't know how, what you guys will think, but typically it'll be what my gut was saying. Mm-hmm. Yes. Yeah, absolutely. I, you know, I think as I've got older, I think it's in the last couple of years, I literally follow my kind of gut, heart, intuition in every area of my life. And it it's never served me wrong. And even if, you know, there's always lessons to be learned in life, but I yes. think if you listen to your gut, if you hear what's being said or sometimes not being said, it follows you on the right path, whether whether it's the right path for you at the moment, there's always kind of a silver lining to it, isn't there? But yeah, it just, it never serves you wrong. So. Oh, I love that. And it, it takes a lot of confidence, Louise, for you to trust your gut because some, mm. it, you have to, you have to almost have belief in yourself, self-belief to do that. And that's not easy. So kudos to you yeah. for, for being able to do that. Oh, thank you. <laughs> it's taken some time. <laughs> And you too. <laughs> all good all good things do. Exactly. All good things do. Because people think that, you know, they're they're gonna be millionaires tomorrow if they start trading. I don't know. I, I, I blame Instagram for it. But uh when um I know that you're an avid martial arts um person and how would you compare martial arts to trading? Is there a comparison? Yes, because I think both of them you so too many people focus on when you do martial arts, they, they think it's physical, but they don't understand that, especially if you compete, if you're, if you're just in train in the gym and you train hard, but you never actually compete, it's a bit different. But I think the pressure of competition, there's a huge difference in martial arts between what you do in the training room with no one watching. And then what you do when there's thousands of people and it's, it's you in a pair of Lycra shorts and, and no, everyone's watching. And I think that's the same, the pressure. It's one thing that they always say with trading, um, 
before you uh, i've heard many people say before you start trading um paper trade first and kind of see if your strategies work but that's nonsense mm-hmm. because paper trading you don't have all those psychological elements of stress mm-hmm. and pressure of losing money or making money and when to cut a position or exit a losing position so i think that that's very similar in the sense that you've got to have that strong mental belief um, like you were saying about your your intuition you've got to know if you're going to a to martial arts competition and you've done the training and you've done the sacrifice and you're prepared you you know deep down that you're good you've prepared and you might not even if you do everything right you still might not win but the chances are going to be higher um but if you don't you can't really fool yourself and i guess this, the same thing would be for trading like if you're if you stick to a really good strategy that's worked for you you and you have to have the discipline to, to stick it through it's you're going to feel better about holding a losing position because mm-hmm. you know it's it's come back and you know especially something like a mean reversion on an option mm-hmm. you, you've been there before you know you just have to kind of wait an irrational period um and you have the confidence but if you're just trading and i know i didn't do this too much but i saw other people do it where they just you know they miss a hedge and they're just kind of holding and, and, and hoping for it to go their way you know like the then you know you don't they know that they shouldn't be doing it and then they're not really going to have much confidence because they're just that's at that point that's just a coin flip that's them being you know um lazy with their discipline so i I think it all i think so much of life comes down to discipline and it's Mm. it's such a counterintuitive thing um but i know um i think it was jocko wrote a book discipline is freedom i think when you have discipline whether and this applies to everything in life not just um fighting and, and trading but when you have discipline and i think it just makes life easier because it takes those the the small decisions out off the table you know what you have to do yeah so yeah. how do you work on your discipline how do you improve your discipline hey maybe you have some tools from martial arts that you've acquired is it consistency is it is it work ethic is it uh, having a clear goal in mind what would you Ooh. say that's such a that's such a great question. I think I definitely think it's all three. I think, you know, having that long term picture where you want to be is is vital. And then I think it's a bit of a positive feedback loop where say um, take the discipline of eating well, and it's so silly, it's such a small thing, but most people, if they ate a little bit better and they tried to cut out some late night Netflix and get get to bed earlier, get more sleep, two such silly tiny things. Then they're mm-hmm. going to feel better the next day. They're going to be mentally sharper. They're going to have a more productive day. Then when they go to bed the next night, that's their positive feedback loop is they know it works. And I think that's the thing with discipline is, listen, you're not going to, if you've never done any exercise, you're not going to roll out of bed, take a take a 10-minute ice bath and run 10 miles, right? That's going to take some time to build up <laughs> to do crazy things like that. But I think that's the thing with discipline is you're a little bit, you, you, can, you can build on the discipline every day. So mm-hmm. I, I think- to, Jordan Peterson had a wonderful chapter in one of his books where he talked about aiming down. And I remember when I first read that, I thought, what a stupid thing to say. And then I really started thinking about it. And I thought, that's so right. Like, I, you, you see someone who's, they want to be at step 100, and they're on step three. And instead of looking at step four and step five, they're looking at step 40 or step they're, they're missing all the intermediary steps. And I think it's the same with discipline. If you're, if you're kind of a mess and you're not very disciplined, don't be so hard on yourself. Don't aim for the stars day one. Just try to be a little bit better. And I really believe in, and I was telling one of my students today, I have this female student who's a, she's a personal trainer, she does jujitsu. She's really athletically talented. She's very physical, but she's, technically she makes mistakes and then she gets flustered and she says things like, I suck and everything. And I've been telling her recently, I'm, I'm training with her and I'm like, listen, 1% every day, 1%. And then she's like, yeah, 1%. Mm. Just get better 1% yeah. every day because that's going to be 365% better at the end of the year. And I think, so that aiming down and just trying to do a little bit more, too many people, I think we're in a weird, and I'd love to know you both of your opinions on this, but I feel like we're in a weird world where people, 
that they're either kind of lost and they don't have any goals or their goals are almost too high. And like you mentioned about looking at, they look at social media and everyone's driving a Lamborghini and they're like, I want to get a Lamborghini. And it's like, well, why not just try and get, you know, a Toyota first if you don't have a yeah, car. Yeah. You know, <laughs> aim down a little yeah. bit. Get a bicycle. Yeah. Go for a bicycle. Yes, exactly. Yeah. Isn't that, yeah, aim down. So I'd love to know your opinion, but I feel like we're in that world where it's almost like one or the other, one extreme or the other without really just having those we- yeah, we certainly are. There's a real imbalance um, in a lot of areas around the world at the moment. And I do feel like social media, you know, you sort of, I don't know, I don't really do social media much these days, but, you know, when you go on, it's like Faina said, you go on and there's people in front of the Lamborghinis and then that can cause things like for people, imposter syndrome, not feeling good enough and kind of yes. with that, we can get deflated or we can feel like that can kind of enforce our beliefs that we're not good enough if we have those and so forth. So so there is definitely a real imbalance at the moment. And I think you're exactly right what you said, Lawrence. It's literally, you know, it's that saying, Rome wasn't built in a day. It's one step at a time, you know, literally. And with those small steps, guess what? You know, we can achieve, we can walk mountains, can't we? We can, so. Well, I apply that same idea to like uh, profit taking, right? There are people who are shooting for the moon. I'm more about incremental gains. I find... I find a number that feels good and then I'll go with that number. Yes, maybe I didn't capture the full move, but I got a good chunk of it. You know, I got a piece of the pie. Exactly. I had that same approach. And that way it's it's consistency. If I get a piece of the pie consistently, I'm going to get to where uh, people are trying to get to in one day. But also yes. when you look at social media, people very infrequently tell you about the struggle, the bad days, when they don't feel good, about all the times they fail. Like it's what people are putting out there and, and we're measuring against their best day. Yes. And that's what we forget. We're measuring against mm-hmm. their best day. We don't know about every day they don't feel good. People don't like to be forthcoming with that because it doesn't feed the narrative of like, you know, by this, you're going to be great tomorrow. Then, you know, I think ethically we have lost our way because our, we, we have dollar signs over like ethics and morals. And a lot of times, especially in trading, all those programs that promise you overnight success. And if you do this and just put the trade, but nobody tells you how many people lost a 401ks mm-hmm. or, or every single dollar they had in their bank account. No one talks about that. You know, everything is a very dangerous thing. I'm so glad you brought that up because I couldn't agree more. And there's so many times where you'll see someone, a successful entrepreneur, and he's got this great business, and you don't know mm-hmm. that he had three other businesses before that all failed that he blew right. through his, mm-hmm. his, yeah. his money, his parents' money, he got into debt to get there. It's uh-huh. it's such a good reminder. And then one more thing you mentioned, imposter syndrome. I, I've i talk, been talking to a lot of elite performers in many different fields, and I can't think of one that hasn't struggled with that. So it's such a mm-hmm. good thing to remind anyone listening to this conversation yeah. is, Everyone deals with imposter syndrome. All the people that whoever's listening look up to, they've all had to deal with it too. So don't feel bad if you have it because you it, almost everyone has it. And the best way to overcome it is through the things you're saying is just slowly being disciplined and working on yourself. And, and then mm. eventually you, you know that you deserve to be there and you deserve to have the success. But yeah. it doesn't come overnight. And too many people see these other people that they look up to and they think that they didn't struggle with their struggles. And I think that's a really good thing to remember because we all yeah. we all struggle with imposter syndrome. And I never thought I did. And I've been really being critically analyzing myself and I did too. So we, we all do. 
Ah, oh, that's a great piece of advice, Lawrence. And I think it's true, isn't it? Because it comes down, you know, we won't talk too much about it, but it comes down to beliefs or limiting yes. beliefs, you know, and that's where it stems from. But I think it is very common these days, you know, sort of imp- imposter syndrome and, and so forth. So there's been, you've achieved so much in your life. I mean, you live in Chicago now and you 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 work with real estate, you know, you've built a really good business company. Do you want to tell us more about that, Lawrence? Yeah, so I think there's um, I, I know I, I kind of touched on it before, but I really I've really been thinking about those those people that they try to bend the world to their will, and then the other people that kind of they're a bit more flexible and they see what the world gives them and they kind of take the opportunities that arise. And I think when I was younger, I had that fighter mentality where it's like, no, I'm gonna whatever whatever happens, I'm gonna achieve what I want to achieve, and I'm gonna fight the the, the barriers in my way. And then slowly as I got older, I realized that that's not the best way to live life. And it's also not doesn't make you the happiest person. And that's exactly why I switched careers is when I I left, I had my my last fight, I was 35. And at the time I was thinking I I had made a lot of money, but I was very, you know, I was a young guy. I was very irresponsible with my money. I was spending like I was still making it. And then I was trading a bit on the side. I had a a few, you know, losing positions and I was just enjoying life and traveling the world and blowing through everything. And then I got to the stage where I was like, hmm, I got to be a bit more financially responsible here. You know, I'm 35 now. I'm not a kid anymore. So just when I was thinking about going back to the trading floor, I started talking to some some of the guys I used to work with, and they said, "Lawrence, like whatever you do, don't come back. It's just it's it's a ghost town here, and it's really hard to make money. And it's just you left at the right time." And I was I had a bit of an early midlife crisis because I thought, well, you know, once you've been successful when you're young, you you have the confidence, I guess, to know you can do it again in a different field. But the thing that's a bit dispiriting is that you also know how hard it is. So I remember when I was, there was someone on, on Oprah when I was, I still was living in England. So I must've been in my late teens. And I heard this, it was someone on Oprah talking about how it always takes you twice as, it's twice as much work to make half as much money as you thought. And I kind of agree with that philosophy mm-hmm. that it's not easy. Like every successful person I think will tell you it, in, unless they're very, you know, unless they're a crypto millionaire or something, but it traditionally <laughs> in entrepreneurship, it's always twice as hard to make half as much as you thought. And so I had that. So I was really trying to, I did a bit of soul searching, like, what am I going to do? And luckily at the time, I had a very good friend of mine who lived, we lived in the same building and we both had dogs. And when I'd see him at the dog park and I'd chat to him and he was an attorney at his own law company. He was a younger guy and he had his own law company and he was doing real estate on the side. He said, you know, I think I'm going to open up a real estate company. And he's like, we should, we should do it together because, you know, he's like, you're so charming. They'd love your English accent. You do so well with real estate. And just at that time, he was actually helping me buy a, an investment property. And that was what I needed to, to see that there's, because I, I studied finance before, but they don't really talk about investing in real estate. It's all bonds, stocks, cash. You know, it's very simple. Um, they have their formula. They teach you. Real estate is so different, different markets. It's so local. It's very hard to teach good classes on it. And so mm-hmm. I started talking to him and, and we, we bought this building. He was my broker. And I just saw that it's a really good business model. And my my mathematical side, it really appeals to me because when you when you invest in stocks, you know, you might get two div- two revenue streams. You get maybe a dividend and then you get the stock appreciation. But the beautiful thing about real estate is that if you have a building with tenants in there, you're getting even if the building doesn't make any money, you get huge tax benefits of the write-offs. And then mm-hmm. typically the building is making you money, so you're getting cash flow. Typically, over time, it appreciates just like the stock market. And you're also, every month, your tenants are paying down your principal of your loan. So you have like four different revenue streams with one investment. And Mm -hmm. I was so impressed by that. I thought, you know, here's an opportunity for me, not really knowing much about real estate, but I know a lot about finance. And I know that real estate is such a good model. So I'm going to get my real estate license. I'm going to really focus on, on real estate 
development and being and, and working with investors. And that's kind of what I did. It it really worked out for me because there's something like 45,000 brokers in Illinois, like the state I'm in. So there's a lot of brokers, a lot of competition. Everyone knows five or 10 brokers. But the thing with me is I'm very specialized and I'll help good friends buy a house or a condo or something. But almost all my mm-hmm. business is working directly with investors. And so it's kind of that's always when people are lost and they're trying to figure out what they're going to do in life. I always think about what what your natural skills are and then what you enjoy doing. And I'm really mm-hmm. I really enjoy working with investors because they tend to be interesting people. And like I like I had one that just moved to Costa Rica and he says he's like, that's not yeah, he's very wealthy and he made a lot of money. And I think he was in um, the East Coast and he moved to Costa Rica. And and others are, you know, very successful surgeons or just they're just on sex, successful entrepreneurs and they make this money and they just want to diversify some of their investments. So I get to meet some really great people who are very interesting. They're from all over the country. And I get to help them just put some money to work in Chicago. And I guess I'm lucky because I live in a market where in the Midwest, the returns tend to be very high, whereas East Coast, West Coast, the prices are too high. So it's very, it's very, very hard to make money in real estate investing in those markets. Those typically, they just buy and they hope it's going to appreciate over time. But in the Midwest, you can make some good returns just based on the numbers. So I guess I got lucky being in a market um, you know, that, that, um, that has good cap rates and returns. But it was really just, it was, again, that instead of me trying to fight, no, no, I've got to stick with trading. It's what I know. I'm, I'm going to fight my way back. I just had this opportunity. I had a really good friend who wanted to work with me and we, we really liked each other. And he he basically told me, you know, think outside the box. You know, you, you can do a lot more than just finance. And I'm kind of glad because in Chicago, it's a tough city in the sense that there were thousands and thousands of pit traders. And it's a trading on the floor because there was, there was four different exchanges here. There's the Mercantile Exchange, mm-hmm. uh, the Chicago Board of Trade, there's the Options Exchange, and um, there's one more I'm forgetting. But there's so many former pit traders in Chicago that were kind of trying to figure out what their next step is. And mm-hmm. I'm lucky that I just jumped into a new business and it sucked. I mean, to be yeah. honest, again, talking back to the the growth mindset and having a long-term time horizon, I think in my first year I decided, I said, listen, I don't care about making money. I want to be busy and I want to learn real estate. So I had an ex-girlfriend at the time. She'd been doing about 10 years of real estate, just randomly. It was, it was so random. But I started seeing this girl and just as I was getting into real estate and she's like, Lawrence, he's like, I'm just lazy. Like I get all, all these leads, you know, she was an attractive girl. So she gets all this business, but she just didn't really want it. it was a lot of it wasn't great. And mm-hmm. I said, you know what? I said, I'll take all the crappy business. I'm going to run around the city because I want to learn Chicago. So well. I want to learn every neighborhood. I want to meet people. I want to be on the ground. So I worked really hard for a whole year. And by the end of the year, after all said and done, my, the amount of money I made was basically what I could have made in a good day trading on the trade floor. So it was very dispiriting, but I knew uh-huh. that, that was, the goal was not to make money. The goal was to learn. And then the yeah. following year, I started to meet some big developers and start developing relationships. And so r- real estate is, I, I think it's it, this, it's so funny because I know you guys focus on really the, more of the trading side, but there's so many parallels between, between jiu-jitsu, real estate, and trading in what mm-hmm. success is. And I think that's the same with so mm. many fields. You have these traits that, that go, they're, they're, they're more important than the actual field you're in. They, 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 they're, they're almost transferable to almost any industry. And even the relationships thing is, you know, when you have a good relationship with a broker and the trading pit, you know that w- when, you're, when you're in a really hectic market, it's literally you have a fraction of a second, you make eye contact. He says a thousand. You look at him, you know it's you and him, and then you hedge it with the future and you write your trading card and you give it to your clerk. And if you're a shady guy and the market moves against you and you miss your hedge, there's, there's mm-hmm. traders there that will be like, no, no, that wasn't me. That was the guy. I, I wasn't looking at you. And that, there, so there was a lot of these, um, where, where <laughs> they call them out trades, where they, we're talking huge amounts of money sometimes, you know, 
20,000, 50,000, 100,000, where people, were, they, they were basically fighting on, did they take the trade or not? When you have a good relationship, mm. if, if people know you stand by your word, and if you look at them for a fraction of a second, you say sold, they know you're going to take it. You're not going to try and back out or something. They'll always look for you in the trading floor. And that's exactly mm-hmm. the same with real estate. When you have good relationships with builders and they, and they know that you're going to work really hard and find the buyers, they're always mm-hmm. going to come to me, not another 10 brokers they know. So I think the aspect yeah. of relationships is so important. And then this is this is a funny random story, guys. But my company had, a before I left my company, actually, no, sorry, just after I left, they actually broke away. The Chicago office broke away from the main office in London. And when they did, they cut, they cut a lot of the staff. They cut, they fired a bunch of people. And um, one of the traders, he, he made the cut and he was probably the worst of the group. But the reason <laughs> they came, it was so funny, he was a really nice guy and he was hilarious. He was just a, he was like the jokester and they just liked the, 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 the boss and the, 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 the big producers. They just liked having him around. They're a good guy. And it's like, that's something <laughs> it's so funny because they don't teach you that in business school. But that's, I think that is so yeah. important. Being likable and personable, it opens mm-hmm. up so many doors. Like no one will ever teach you that, but I've seen that in all on, in all fields, and it's the same with real estate. I know brokers will come to me and builders, and they're like, "Lawrence, like I just like working with you. I just like your energy. I know you're mm-hmm. honest. Like, you know, I'm always going to come to you, not another broker or not another builder." And, and that's really that's a, a true honor, and I don't take that for granted. I think yeah. having good morals and, and and having a good reputation. In a city of millions of people like Chicago, it's funny how it's a small, big city because those reputations really precede you. Yes, yes. So important, isn't it, to have good values, to be honest, because it always works out in the end, doesn't it? Yes, yes. Mm. So what's the best thing that you've achieved so far in your life? This is so funny. So I've got this... I've, I've been um, when I was fighting. I was really concerned about head trauma, and actually, since since I retired, there's been a lot of documentaries about um, head trauma from from getting hit in the head and things like that. So, I was I had um, I had ten professional MMA fights. I had about twenty five boxing fights. I was in the gym training for decades, getting hit in the head. So I was always so paranoid about damaging my brain. I would always number one take time off between fights where I wouldn't even train with any head head stuff, head trauma. But I was always a huge reader because. I wanted to, if I was damaging my brain and losing brain cells getting hit, I wanted to be working working on my neurons and learning. So I've always been yeah. a huge reader. When I was young and growing up in England, I was very lucky because my parents didn't have a TV in the house and they, they were like, no, we want you to read and we want you playing outside. So that was it. So I, I was always a huge reader. And then when I was fighting and I wasn't work, I had a lot of downtime because even if you train three times, you know, that's only each session is between an hour and maybe 90 minutes. So you still have a lot of downtime. So I would just read voraciously and I read about all different things. And I think I had a really good idea of general knowledge about many different things I was interested in. And so if you had asked the 40 year old self, have you figured out life? I would have probably been like, well, you know, I've, I've got a pretty good idea. And now only I'm 43. I just think that I've learned so much, even just being a parent. And I think just mm. being a, so now I'm very aware of things that I don't know. And I think the most dangerous thing in life is people that don't know what they don't know. And mm. I would say that what we're seeing in the US right now with this crazy inflation is due to these politicians two years ago where they're just like, no, no let's shut down the world for COVID. We're just going to give everyone stimulus without thinking what the effect's going to be. You know, they didn't know what they didn't know. Then most of them don't really understand economics or finance. And I think that's, and I remember when it was happening, I, I knew this would happen. I knew it was going to be bad. I knew we'd have inflation. And of course, that's what we're seeing. And I think, so knowing what you don't know and being a, being aware that to, to be open to new things, being aware that whatever you're fixated on now, you really believe in two years, you could have very different opinions because mm, I was, yeah. was always wanted to be a dad, but I was always so scared that 
I, of what I would lose being a parent. So I would be more tied down. I couldn't, didn't have flexibility to do things. It would be a big commitment on my time. And I, I saw so many negatives. And then um, I was in Hawaii on a, on a family vacation. And I was just, I, I really bonded a lot with my son, because you know, normally I'm working quite a lot. And I got to spend every day from morning to night with him. And I remember one morning the sun was coming up. He woke me up at 5 a.m. You know, we went outside. We were just outside. The sun was coming up. I'm in paradise anyway. And I just felt like I had this piece if my body was a jigsaw puzzle, I had a piece of my heart that was missing. And then with him in that moment, it was full. And I realized mm. that this whole time that I was scared of, of being a parent, because mm. I have a good relationship with my parents and I know that it's a big commitment. I was so focused on the negative. I, had, I didn't know what I didn't know. And that was that mm. I've got a mini me mm. my, my little buddy. And that love you feel, it's like, a, it's like having a heart outside your body. It's, it's and so I, that's, I, was, I think that's, that's my biggest accomplishment, honestly. It's just I'm so blessed mm. because... I think I have a very compatible relationship with my wife. I think we're, instead of trying to, again, going back to that analogy where you try and go through the world, bending it to your will, a lot of people that have read, and I've noticed this with very high, um, high achievers and elite achievers in different fields is they can be incredibly successful in business, but they have terrible relationships with, with their significant others. And I think a lot of it is because they're winners in life. So maybe they're seeing somebody who they're not really that compatible with, but they're not used to losing. So they're trying mm. to force it. And I was so, I, I've done that, you know, I had that relationships like that before where it's just, it, you've got to know, and not just relationships in business and life too, is there's certain times where the right thing to do is to, is to realize, accept defeat and walk away. Yeah. And I'm so glad that I did that before because with my wife, you know, she, we, we were very compatible. She moved in within about a week after our first date. We're just so compatible. Oh. Wow. And it's not to say... Teach me how to do that. Yeah. It's not to say you know, what, what, we said, what we said, though, about, you know, on Instagram and everything looks perfect. It's not to say we don't bicker, of course, like anyone, we still have our moments. But I think that waiting to be more compatible is we just have the same way of, of seeing life. And I think there's nothing mm. wrong with different ways. You know, everyone has different opinions. And I, I love the fact that I have friends that have very different opinions to me on many things because it keeps me in check. But I think the person you want to raise a family with or settle down with, I think if you have different ways of seeing of seeing the world, it's going to be a cause a bit more conflict. Yeah. Yeah. A guy who knows what he wants, not afraid of commitment. Wow. Yes, exactly. They should take a picture of you and put you in some sort of a, a thing and, and, and pray to you, make an altar. <laughs> I feel like it's time. Well, don't, yeah, don't, don't be don't be discouraged. I will say that. Like I've got single friends, and it's like the house. You don't need to have. Hold a- on, I'm not discouraged. I'm numb. <laughs> no, but it's like it's like this. Later. When you sell a house, you don't need ten buyers, right? You just need one, and it's the same with yeah. you. Don't need to need 10, 10, 10 great people. You just need one person who's compatible. That's it. <laughs> oh man, Lawrence, you speak a lot with kind of gratitude appreciation you know you have this amazing way of kind of just saying I've been lucky I've been sort of blessed and do you do you think sort of what you've believed and kind of intuition and luck has really helped you on your journey and kind of helped you to achieve success and find great love do you you think that's been a big part of it I think gratitude, I think it's impossible to be upset and angry if you're grateful. So I think that's Mm -hmm. having gratitude is the best um, tonic for kind of depression. Um, And I think, I I really think it's, it's, it's been the last few years. I've really changed my mind. A lot of things because I, I've always been a very hard worker and I've always, I've always had that, that kind of the pride of ownership thing where I like, listen, I had a lot of opportunities and doors open for me in England and I wanted to go to a different country and I wanted to 
I don't know anyone in Chicago. When I came here, I was kind of an intimidated young kid in this big city and mm. I didn't really know any, anyone. And I wanted that challenge. And I'm like, no, no, I'm self-made. I came to America. I did this. But honestly, if I look back, I had so much, um, you know, support, help, and I had a great upbringing. And I had a, a dad that gave me, wanted me to trust myself. And he instilled a good work ethic. And I just think I had the luck to be, you know, I was born in England. I think about um, that um, that crazy tsunami we had, like, you know, when it, 15 years ago, I think it was in Indonesia, it was hit really yes. badly. And I think if you, if you were a five-year-old, if you were five years old at the time and you drowned in that tsunami, it's like, what chance did you have? You grew up mm. um, on the beach, you're a few years old, then a tsunami comes and your whole family and you were drowned. You know, it's like so many, I just I just think so many people, they look at their success and they, they kind of praise themselves for it. And of course, listen, you're not going to get success without some some hard work. But geez, you've got to be grateful too, because the fact that you and mm. the three of us are having this conversation right. and in different in different areas of the world, I, I just I think I think it's beautiful. I think it's so lucky, and I think it, there's mm. a lot there's a lot in the world. There's so many people right now that are kind of struggling. I think both of you are very smart because I think all three of us are living in kind of nice areas of the world. Um, but there's so much in Chicago. I'm actually leaving Chicago next year. I'm moving about an hour south um, to the country because there's just so much um, when you have millions of people on top of each other. And I think um, mm. you were saying that about New York. It's a, it's not probably the, the best place for, for happiness. Mm. It, you've got a lot of opportunity there. Um, so I think just just being but the opportunity cost is high, you know, like what, yes. how much is your well-being, emotional and mental worth? What's the dollar sign for that? Exactly. And there's no, yeah. I think that's the way I've always lived my life is I truly believe that if you put the work in and you try to follow something you're relatively passionate about and interested about, eventually the money will come, but you mm-hmm. can never get the money first and then get happiness and health later. It has to, no. you have to almost yeah. start with, with that good stuff because I see too many people where they're so successful financially, but they're, you know, they have bad relationships. They maybe don't see their kids, they're overweight and they're just they're very unhealthy and they're depressed. And in, yeah. in, in coming from America, um, I've noticed the difference for me, one of the big differences between England and America is you go to a doctor in America for, for some ailment and they're going to give you all these different drugs for it. And it, they, they give them so easily and so willingly. And I've got so mm. many people, friends that have had a lot of problems with SSRIs and things like that. And I think it, there's no amount of success for me that that is willing to to destroy my health and my 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 sanity mm. and my, you know, my mental happiness. So I think, yes. but, but I really believe that I had two friends growing up um, and that one was incredibly optimistic and one was incredibly pessimistic. And I learned it was such a funny thing because they, they both had opportunities, I guess. But I just saw from an early age that the optimistic one almost seemed to will the good things into his life. And the pessimistic one seemed to almost will the bad luck in his life. Mm-hmm. And I, I definitely, when I was young, I used to love Mike Tyson when I was boxing. Um, and I used to love his his ferocity. And he used to say things like, you know, always expect the worst and that way you're not disappointed and he'd have all these sayings and I, yeah, yeah i used to think like that when i was a teenager and i was pretty negative i think because of that yeah. and then i realized yeah. that that's just a horrible way to live your life isn't it mm. well what do you focus on expands in my yeah. opinion yeah and so you know I, they say when you are really really don't want something it's a prayer for it you're like you're putting so much energy into it that you're actually praying for that so whenever I start to stress out, it, I'm like, uh oh, I'm starting to pray for what I don't want. I have to be careful here because you know, exactly. I mean, enough energy into it, you know. Well, one thing I'll say, both of you seem like you're very aware of things that a lot of people, I think, in finance are not aware. Like you seem like you're very evolved and you've thought about a lot of these things, which is awesome. And I'm sure mm-hmm. doing podcasts. One of the reasons I love doing podcasts is you get to connect with people that give mm-hmm. you energy. And you know, the three of us live in different corners of the world, but I think we all have that same mindset. 
And I think that's a big yes. thing too, is I try, I've been trying to, it's, it's tough because you have these legacy friends that you've known a long time, but maybe you've just grown apart and they just, they're very negative and they bring you down. And I've really tried to kind of cut those people out of my life and be around people that lift me up and inspire me. Mm. I think you need, I think you need, actually need to balance. You need, I, I, I want to have people, especially students that, that suffer with confidence issues and things like that for jujitsu, where I want to be their mentor because I think it's important to give back. So I want to be, I want to be surrounding myself with people that I'm mentoring and helping. And then I want to have peers that I kind of, I can bounce ideas off. And then I want to have mentors that I can look up to. And I think having all three is very difficult because it, it's hard to find people that you can inspire, people that you can be kind of peers with, and then people that you can, they can mentor you. But I really yeah. think you need all three in order to achieve that peak performance mm-hmm. and definitely you're kind of you're kind of covering the whole 360 but I think I think at the end of the day it's we have to put ourselves first in a selfless way we have to put our our health our well-being and whatever whatever has meaning to us you know me personally for many years well not for many years for a few years it was all work 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 and you know, I would go through this series of pattern of kind of just burning myself out and it doesn't happen anymore. I literally walk out every day. I go out into nature. I walk across the road and I'm in a field of sheep. That's beautiful. And uh, <laughs> that is... That They're good is, listeners now. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, they are. They are actually. <laughs> and uh, that that is how I start my day after a coffee. And, you know, my morning is about me in a selfless way. I have a morning practice. I do things for me because if I'm not 100% or close to I can't give a hundred percent to my clients and to anybody yes. else and and mm-hmm. that is that's what I live by one of the things I live by so well I'm so glad you said that because if you do exactly it's that old silly cliche like put your oxygen mask on before you help your neighbor or something on the plane it's so true mm-hmm. it's like if you if you want to be your best self and if you want to be the best person to your community you're in a circle your family you have to put yourself first not from a selfish way but like what you said you have to be you have to be your best self before you can be mm-hmm. your best self to others and i absolutely love that i couldn't agree absolutely. more and i don't have yeah. the best morning routine i do more of an evening routine i'm kind of doing everything backwards but i i do the <laughs> same thing where i do i'm not going to give to other people before i focus on getting myself in a good place first yes yeah yeah it's so important it's so important so Lawrence, we are coming to the end of our show. It has been an absolute pleasure. You've just been an amazing guest. And again, please come on. Please come on again. We'd love to talk to you more. How can people find you, Lawrence? Where can we find you? Firstly, both of you have really good synergy and really good energy. And it's something I've got, I've got a good friend who he used to talk about energy a lot. And I always thought it was a bit woo-woo. And then I realized that it's everything in life is energy. When I see my phone, I see, you know, if I see a difficult client's name pop up, my heart's like, oh, I've got to talk to this guy. <laughs> when you see, you know, someone who's positive and motivating, you're like, hey, you know, I want to talk to this guy. So I really, you guys have such good energy and really good synergy together. So thank you so much. It's been a true pleasure. Thank you. Oh, thank you. We would love to have you back. And how do we, how do people find you in Chicago area? Absolutely. Anytime. I'd love to come back. So with real estate, it's just my name, Lawrence Dunning on LinkedIn is probably the best. I post a lot of um, property and articles on the market and things like that. And then um, Instagram, same thing. My name, Lawrence Dunning. And I, I, um, I have a podcast, Enter the Lionheart. And it's basically just talking to people that I find inspiring, whether it's in entrepreneurship and sport and business and mm-hmm. um, even, you know, even esoteric things. I've, I've got some esoteric interests. I'm very passionate about things like um, 
psychedelics and and that's a big thing in in the us now where it's becoming legal and they're doing a lot of ptsd treatment with psychedelics and things like that so i just yes. find all this stuff really really fascinating and we i think need to do a whole other show on that about trading trauma and psychedelics yeah we do i i'm, I'm not even kidding yeah but- yeah absolutely oh i would love to do that i've done two ayahuasca weekends and they were very interesting and so any absolutely anytime I, we, we definitely have to talk more about that so that'll be part two but uh, <laughs> Yes, part two, psychedelics. You, you guys are really <laughs> awesome, and I, I really Aww. appreciate both of you. Thank yes. you so much. You guys are really good hosts because of all the, the things you've you've done and thought about, and it, it comes across. So thank you so Aww, much. Thank, thank you, you so, so much, much for having us. It's been a pleasure. Thank you so oh, much, Lawrence. We look thank forward you. to having you again very soon. Perfect. Guys, uh, as always, we'll see you next week. See you next week. If you would like to be a guest on the show, then please email us at info tradinginthezen at gmail.com. If you're a trader who is struggling with their psychology, then please look up the amazing offer. The Trading Mindset Program is changing the lives of traders across the world, helping them to achieve consistency and great success. Please click on the description below. For one-to-one trading strategy mentoring with Faina. You can also find her details below. Thank you.